The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners. Welcome to the 72nd ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www. IIRsports.com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week, as well as the discuss the events I attended. Also, during the show, we will be joined by our friend of the show, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, I just want to start off by saying it was a big week for me as the Bloomberg Business Week sports issue with ESPN on the cover. And that contained a special advertising section that I wrote on NFL player engagement. Has been on newsstands all week long, and I've been getting lots of positive feedback. So uh, if you have a chance to read it, I think you'd enjoy it. Now to my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items of the week. My highlight of the week is the NFL kicking off the other night with a great game as the boys broke through to finally beat the defending Super Bowl champion New York Giants. Now the real fun begins with a full slate of games this weekend, highlighted by the huge matchup Sunday night when the Broncos and Peyton Manning host the Steelers, who, as we all remember, had their season end last year at Invesco Field in Denver when uh, Tim Tebow put the exclamation point on Tebow Mania. So it should be a great one, and it should be a great uh, great Sunday and Monday of watching NFL football in full swing once again. My low light of the week is another new bottom for the Boston Red Sox. As manager Bobby Valentine completely came apart on a radio show that I happened to be listening to live in, in just disbelief. Uh, as he basically threatened to punch the host, Glenn Ordway of WEI here in Boston, to punch him in the mouth for asking him if he had checked out on the season. Uh, it was surreal, to say the least. And this interview, of course, timing is everything, and it 
occurred the day before the Sports Illustrated cover story on the Red Sox, featuring a cover photo of a very, very forlorn-looking Bobby Valentine, basically holding his hands up over his face. Uh, so, quite a year, and this despicable group has sure made the 100-year anniversary of Fenway Park a year to remember, but for all the wrong reasons. Well, my bizarre story of the week is the reaction, the aftermath, if you will, to the death of Baltimore Ravens owner Art Modell. It was Modell's decision to move the Cleveland Browns back in the late 90s, uh, when Bill Belichick was the coach, by the way. Uh, but it was his decision to move the Browns that was indeed the first paragraph of his obituary as opposed to his gigantic contribution to making the NFL what it is today, particularly his role in the unparalleled TV growth of America's most popular league. Apparently, Modell never went back to Cleveland, where he was publicly enemy number one, even after LeBron's decision. So I couldn't help but wonder if he had to do it all over again, would he have still taken the money knowing his legacy would be that of perhaps the most hated sports owner by one city in American history. It just made me think it's not always about the money. Well, my event of the week that I attended for the second year in a row was the Deutsche Bank Golf Championship up here in Norton, Massachusetts, about a half an hour from where I live and uh, half an hour from the city of Boston. It was a fabulous tournament yet again. It's the second of four FedEx playoff tournaments. And like it has so many years, I've been going all 10 years it's been in existence. Uh, it came down to the final shot where Louis Westhazen missed a putt that had he made, it would have tied Rory McIlroy, who won the tournament on West Hazen's missed putt. And it was just quite a day on Monday. Again, it's the only PGA tournament that ends on a Monday, on Labor Day. It's become an absolute Labor Day tradition up here in Boston. And uh, it's just a spectacular weekend. I was out there as well on Sunday. And uh, so on Monday, what I did was uh, I followed Tiger Woods, which was just right out of the gate. First hole was actually uh, watching he and Rory McElroy as well as Ustazen uh, on the practice range immediately preceding their walk to the first tee. And then I just uh, stuck with Tiger through most of the day, and McElroy was right behind him, so I was able to really watch both golfers, and it was just absolutely electric. Um, following Tiger when he's in the hunt is... Uh, one of the great things in sports uh, on the final day of a PGA tournament. So it was just uh, the traditionally rowdy Boston crowd that just, uh, you, you know, was in an uproar all day. Uh, Tiger's army, if you will. And it was just uh, really special to be part of. And again, uh, uh, jumping around the various holes, I was on the third hole when McElroy, who started the day, by the way, three strokes behind 
West Hazen. Tiger started the day six strokes behind West Hazen. Uh, but when uh, Rory got his run going uh, on the third hole with the birdie, it was absolutely ear-splitting. One of the great cheers I've ever heard in sports, as you can well imagine, here in Boston. A huge, huge Irish crowd. So I would say that uh, Rory was just slightly behind Tiger on the crowd meter, noise meter. And uh, again, just watching these two guys who really are probably... The two best golfers going right now. They're the only two players who have each won three championships this year. And uh, just a a day to remember. So why don't we start off by listening to what Rory McIlroy had to say uh, on winning the Deutsche Bank immediately following his victory. Um, Obviously delighted to to get my fifth fifth win on the PGA Tour, third win this year, Um, second win in the last three events. yeah, I mean today today was great. You know, going on put a three shot deficit. Uh, you know, I just wanted to get off to a good solid start and maybe put Lee under a little bit of pressure. And you know, I was able to do that playing uh, the first four holes at three under. And you know, we both made a, a couple of mistakes on the on the fifth hole, but you know he uh, you know he made a, a six to my five, so I was able to take advantage of that a little bit. And um, you know, I think the you know the good start set me up for. For a solid back nine, you know, there's a, a couple of shots in the back nine. I well, I won't take back now, but if I, I could have then, I would have. But uh, you know, still, you know, managed to do enough. And um, you know, as I said, delighted to get this win. Delighted to go to number one in the FedEx Cup. You know, sets me up for a great next couple of weeks. Um, so you know, overall, just you know, very pleased. Okay. Thank you. Questions, and uh, we have a mic. And as I mentioned. The tournament came down to the 18th hole on Monday, the 72nd hole, shall we say, and it was riveting, to say the least. Uh, McElroy could have put the tournament away with a birdie try, and it literally rested on the lip of the cup. It just can't get any closer, and he was followed by Louis Westhazen, who... Uh, came close, but did not nail it, and Rory won the tournament. So here's what he had to say about the 18th hole. I made four. Um, you know, Louis had hit a great tee shot and put himself in a great position, and, um, you know, just leaked the second shot a little bit. So, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like a good tee shot, too. It just went a little a little bit too far, and, you know, even if I wanted to go for the green, um, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to. So, you know, I had to lay up, and... You know, just trying to make it forward that way. It didn't, didn't quite happen, but thankfully in the end, I, I didn't need it. And as I said, Tiger Woods was in the hunt, and after his round on Sunday, where he was six strokes behind West Hazen, here's what Tiger had to say looking forward to the final round on Monday. Incredible out there. Uh, you know, Keegan proved that early today, and, uh, you, know, if, you know, if you get up to a quick start here, it, it can be done, because, I mean, number one's a short hole. Two is just a driver and a you know, shorter mid iron in there, and then four is drivable. So uh, you can get off to a quick start. You can get that going and, and let the round build from there. Um, you can post, post a pretty good number. But it wasn't to be for Tiger on Monday, although he uh, again had a fine final round, but just not, uh, you know, not at the level that he needed to be for uh, for the victory. And. Rory McIlroy is now, uh, in the wake of his PGA 
championship of a couple weeks ago is now uh, not now become one of the world's best golfers, obviously, if not flat out the number one. So here's what Rory had to say about handling winning. I've just learned. I've learned how to handle um, handle winning big events and, and you know, carrying myself forward and uh, not dwelling on what's happened or you know just moving forward. You know, just trying to win another golf tournament, um, trying to put myself in position. You know, there's there's a time and a place to celebrate and to enjoy you know what you've done and, and going into the playoffs isn't it? You know, you have to just focus on the, the week ahead, you know, I'll get the cricket, I mean, I'm flying to Indiana tonight, I'll get the cricket stick tomorrow and, and start to prepare for that tournament, so there's no, you know, this run that we're on, we just have to, you know, keep thinking about the next week, and, you know, once Ryder Cup is over, you know, for sure I'll think back and I'll celebrate and I'll, I'll um, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy, you know, the great golf that I've played over the last, uh, the last few weeks. And... Rory uh, is having a great year this year, obviously, having won the PGA, a major, just a couple weeks ago down in Kiowa, North Carolina. But last year he had a pretty good year, too, when he uh, led the Masters, uh, heading to the back nine on Sunday, and then completely came apart. But, importantly, followed it up by just crushing the U.S. Open field at Congressional in D.C. and winning his first major. So... Rory thinks this year is better, and let uh, let's listen to what, uh, his perspective. This year, for sure, um, you know, to get to, to world number one, um, when you know, back up a, a major winning season in 2011 with another major this year. Um, we get three wins on the PGA Tour. Uh, you know, I, I feel this this year is has been a big year for me to, to back up what I did last year. So, uh, yeah, this year for sure. So there you have Rory McIlroy, winner of the 2012 Deutsche Bank Golf Championship. And I was very impressed with Rory McIlroy. I was standing off on the 18th green on Sunday watching the final hole. I was then in the media area right beside the 18th green and then, of course, in the press conference afterwards. And all in all, watching him up close and personal, uh, very impressed very likable. He's on top of the world. He's young, 23 years old. That's incredible. Uh, dating uh, one of the top players in women's tennis, Carolyn Wozniacki. And uh, I would say Rory has, has uh, the world by the tail right now. And it's just great to see his career off to a start like this. And I think uh, he maybe someday in the mix for challenging Jack's record of 18 majors. So now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And next up will be uh, last week's Army-NFL joint announcement that they're going to study traumatic brain injuries together. And I'm going to play some sound from the event that I attended uh eight days ago at West Point. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Ready for in-your-face sports? 
Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about, either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go? You're not going to be shy here. Tune in to Here's the Deal with Mega and Steel, featuring Ike Mega Griffin and Sydney Steel Justice. We've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, just before the weekend on the Voice America Sports Channel. We tell it like it is. What if there was a program that brought the best in sports and the best of entertainment together in one place? It can be done, and Darnell Autry proves it every week on Outside the Spotlight. In this program, athletes and artists come together to share their success stories, hobbies, professional projects, and more that will interest not only the sports fan, but fans of entertainment and other human interest stories. If you have something you want to ask your favorite athlete or entertainer, listen for Outside the Spotlight, Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is one 888 Three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Well, last week I talked about attending an event at West Point uh, the, a week ago yesterday, where the U.S. Army and the National Football League announced a joint health and wellness initiative where they're going to jointly study traumatic brain injuries, specifically concussions, uh, together, and it was an unbelievably impressive event, again held at the United States Military Academy at West Point, and the panel was headed up by General Raymond Odierno, the Army Chief of Staff and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, and they made the announcement in conjunction with the panel discussion that included uh, former players such as Troy Vincent as well as Army personnel, and it was just spectacular. And here was uh, General Odierno introducing the panel. Welcome to the United States Army, one that ensures that the great sacrifice and commitment of our soldiers are recognized by doing all we can to ensure their medical and physical well-being. And I cannot think of a better place to be today than here at the United States Military Academy to talk about what the Army is doing with the National Football League to address traumatic brain injury in our ranks. It's an honor to be here with the Commissioner, Roger Goodall. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here. Uh, especially since I believe the 2012 season starts next Wednesday, 
And I know that there's no issues that you have to work through until that day. The National Football League has been a long-standing supporter of our soldiers and our families. No matter where you go in the league, you find them reaching out to our soldiers, our families, and helping us and making sure we feel part of the NFL. And I want to thank the commissioner for that and everything that he's done, as well as all the owners who've done so much to reach out to our soldiers uh, throughout the country, especially during their times of deployment. So I look forward also to working together on awareness, education, and prevention of injury, injuries associated with our professions. Mental and physical toughness, discipline, team, over self, and the importance of resiliency are fundamental to both the Army and the National Football League. These are common traits that we inculcate in our cultures. In the Army, we call it the warrior ethos, which is reinforced by the soldier's creed. This is essential for us because our soldiers operate in some of the most complex and difficult environments in the world. But these same traits, although commendable, sometimes make it difficult for individuals to come forward and identify potential issues that they might have physically, but especially mentally. So today, through the Army and the NFL initiative, we seek to inform and educate both our communities, soldiers and players, about traumatic brain injuries, to empower them to maintain healthier minds during their time on the battlefield or the playing field, and after their careers have ended, knowing that there's something that can be done. Through continuous dialogue and sharing of information and research, we aim to better diagnose and treat traumatic brain injuries. Our ultimate goal is to prevent these injuries. A special thanks to our subject matter experts with us today on the panel. I look forward to our discussion. And now I'd like to introduce my good friend and an individual who's done so much for our military, uh, the NFL Commissioner, Roger Goodall. Thank you. Thank you. And next up, we have the commissioner uh, stepping to the podium immediately following General Odierno. And here is Roger Goodell's perspective on the joint effort that we'll be undertaking to study brain injuries. Incredible honor for me to be here at West Point today and, of course, among uh, the great cadets. Uh, you are the future generations of our leadership and to be here today, to take part in this panel, and to be part of an effort here to try to improve the lives of our military personnel and our NFL personnel at the same time is a great honor. And of course, it's uh, great to be here with General Lowe, as I like to refer to him. Uh, he is a great NFL fan, uh, and of course, he has a favorite team, some of you might be aware of. And when he mentions about us uh, starting our season next Wednesday night, General, do you know which teams are playing? <laughs> That's correct. And who are you rooting for, General? <laughs> uh, but he has been a, a great supporter, not just of the Giants, but the NFL in general, and, and really has taken uh, the initiative to find ways of working closer together between our two great organizations. Uh, we obviously have challenges between organizations. Uh, we have similarities, and we have opportunities. And we have taken that opportunity to say, 
what can we do to try to better our two organizations and the people involved. Uh, that includes cadets, includes troops, soldiers, and includes our fighters. And we believe that together we can make a big difference. And that's what we're doing, is trying to make a difference in the lives of all of you. And today we'll have some great panelists that are working uh, in tandem with us to try to help us find solutions to some very complex problems. But this initiative today represents another step forward in sharing research, medical research, that can help our troops, help our players, and help people well beyond uh, those two entities in all of sports and in society. We believe we can do that by working together to pioneer research. We have and we will do more. We also believe that we can do more by helping bring greater awareness, not just within our two organizations, but to society in general. And we are going to work together on initiatives that will help bring greater awareness to the complexity of this injury, but also what we can do to prevent it and manage it and try to make sure that people go on and live healthy and productive lives. And last but not least, we want to do everything we can to have our players and our soldiers work together to try to share their experiences, understand what they go through on a daily basis. There are a lot of similarities, and we, can, we believe that we can use those similarities to help make significant changes in your daily lives. And so we're going to help change our cultures uh, by working together and having our athletes and our soldiers work closely together. So we're honored to be here today. We are going to be sending a letter from the General and I uh, later today, I believe, and we're going to, uh, I believe now, sign that letter. So thank you. And that was Commissioner Roger Goodell speaking to an audience that included about 200 West Point cadets during last week's panel discussion. And for further perspectives, one of the panelists was Troy Vincent, the NFL Vice President of Player Engagement, who had a 15-year career, five-time Pro Bowler, and who I worked with closely on the special advertising section that uh, I referred to earlier that appears in uh, the September 3rd issue of Bloomberg Business Week. And here's Troy Vincent giving the players perspective on the joint study and head injuries. A former player, uh, I'm mean, fine, stable, financial. I played because I loved it. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to discount my, my former teammates or the guys that played because they, we played the game because we love it. It benefits compensation is a benefit of the game, but you do it because you love it. You come back in the game because you want to compete. You don't want to let the guys down in the locker room. And Troy Vincent, uh, again, had great contributions, as did all the panelists, towards discussing uh, how this problem can book best be approached, and one of the things that Commissioner Goodell talked about was simply the culture, and here's what he had to say. I said it incredibly well. Uh, culture changes are not easy. They don't happen overnight. They uh, come through uh, consistent 
uh, emphasis on making sure that we do things right. You know that in the military, we try to do the same thing in the National Football League. And I, I would go back to something that was mentioned earlier, Frank. None of us have done enough. We're not going to stop. I, I know the general feels the same way as I feel. We're going to continue our efforts in these areas, do better, do more, and we believe will make a difference, not just in the lives of people in this room or on NFL fields, but in society in general. And that's, that's our commitment. And that's why we're working together to do this. And finally, we have uh, General Odierno offering really unique perspective on what it's like to be in combat. I think we all wonder, what is it actually like in a combat situation? And I thought General Odierno really put a very, very unique perspective. Leave it to the U.S. Army Chief of Staff to articulate uh, something that I believe everybody wonders about. Here's General Odierno. Uh, it's very personal, and it's hard to describe that's personal. Uh, and it gets to what uh, Sergeant Hibbert was talking about down there. This is our business when it comes down to it. When you're in Iraq, or you've been in Afghanistan, or you're in Vietnam, it's very personal. It's about the person to your right, it's about the person to the left, it's about the person where you depend totally on each other to be successful. And when you're a leader, you feel a burden, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. You feel a burden that you have to lead by example because you have these individuals who are relying on you totally. So as I look at this issue, I actually, and i got to be careful how I say this, but I worry about our leaders more than I do anybody else because our sergeants, our officers, our staff sergeants, our first sergeants, first of all, they're the ones who have done repetitive deployments. Secondly, they're the ones who feel the burden of responsibility. And third, they are the ones who will not take themselves out. So we need other leaders to make sure that we are looking, leaders are looking after leaders. Non-commissioned officers are looking after other non-commissioned officers. Non-commissioned officers Sergeant Majors are looking after their commanders. First Sergeants are looking after their commanders. Commanders are looking after their officers and their non-commissioned officers. Because they will not take themselves out. Because they feel the burden of leadership. They feel the burden of responsibility. And it's very personal. And it's very difficult to take yourself out when you see everyone else is still going to be involved in significant operations on a daily basis. So... What I'm asking is, is that we have to police ourselves. And when I talk about that, I really do talk about leaders. Because we, with our soldiers, we do a better job. Taking leaders out is a much more difficult thing. Because first of all, you know them very well, it's very personal. And you've got to be able to do it to help them, understanding that this can be corrected. So for me, that's one of the key issues that we have to deal with here. Is how we deal with, among leaders from the most senior level, down to the most junior leader. And it's that bond that we have to have. It can't be just a bond to be successful in operations. It has to be a bond to take care of each other in any way that we can. Wow. That is some pretty special stuff from General Raymond Odierno, U.S. Army Chief of Staff, talking about the joint study they've undertaken with the NFL to study traumatic brain injuries. And with that, 
It's time for us to take our break, and on the other side, we'll have A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. flagship station for sports voice america sports are you looking for the ultimate trail to hike maybe you're looking to do the ultimate backpacking adventure whether you're a day hiker or an all-out backpacker be sure to tune in to backpacking america's trails with host rob maureen we'll explore some of the most fascinating places on earth in addition, we'll talk about backpacking gear, including reviews, safety tips, and more. Our experts will share recipes, destinations, and skills to make backpacking the most enjoyable experience for you. Listen every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, brought to you by Whitetails Extreme. On this week's program, we'll have the president of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, David Allen, our man in Colorado, Mark Crane. Hey, plus Arizona elk guy, Jay Scott, and Utah elk calling expert, old Corey Jacobson. All this and more when we talk about elk hunting. And it's all brought to you by Ram at RamTrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now... Back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. And I am your host, John Inglesby. And it's that time of the show when we typically have guests. And on the line is our weekly friend of the show, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And welcome, A.P. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, John. Glad to be here. Well, I know you're in the midst of a very busy week and upcoming weekend, and uh, I know you've been doing some exciting stuff the last day or two with more scheduled today, so I'm going to turn it over to you and let's talk uh, what you're up to these days. Yeah, John, you know, for the last few years I've had the opportunity to uh, cover the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame induction events. And this year, I I was up there yesterday for the media event, and there was a nice cross-section of the basketball world being inducted with the class of 2012. Uh, One of the interesting people is Phil Knight from Nike, and he's touched the world of sports, Uh, you know, not only basketball, but everything else. So got a chance to visit with him and... and, uh, Maybe some of you recall from your days in around Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, is Chet Walker, the old great forward for the 76ers on that 66-67 uh, NBA championship team. Yes, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's he's played at Bradley University, and the, the president of the university is actually going to be there this evening to represent the school, uh, Dr. Joanne Glasser. So I might get a chance to talk to her and. Uh, but, had a chance to visit with Ralph Sampson. He's the 
the athletic twin to the intellectual giant of the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson. Right. There you go. Well said. Well said. Yeah, he, he was, uh, you know, he was a shy, uh, thoughtful person and, and he was really glad that he attended his state university and he stayed the four years and a promise to his mother and he graduated and he ended up being the number one draft choice even though I believe the Boston Celtics uh, visited him as a freshman and said they would select him as the number one pick if he came out after his uh, first year. So, but he, he uh, took Virginia to new heights. You know, they won the NIT championship. They were in the Final Four. He was the National Player of the Year three times. He won the Wooden Award twice and uh, the Naismith Award twice, I believe. So he did some unprecedented uh, things as a Cavalier. And, um, you know, I spoke to Terry Holland also, and he said once Ralph Sampson was recruited, we were able to challenge those other teams um, across the country, UCLA at the time and, you know, North Carolina close by. And so he really had an effect on that university. And, he, you know, well, he was recognized yesterday for his efforts. And, uh, yes, well, you know, you tend to forget. I mean, back in the day, they weren't any bigger than Ralph Sampson, literally and figuratively. He was just a huge, huge uh, star uh, who had a gigantic impact both on the sport and, uh, you know, as you said, he, on the university, he literally put – University of Virginia on the map of the sports world at the time when the ACC was just utterly dominant on the college basketball landscape, uh, this side of UCLA, shall we say. And, uh, no, again, he's just an iconic figure, you know, to say the least. And I, of course, also remember his, uh, two finals versus the Boston Celtics and Larry Bird in the 1980s, uh, it was great stuff. Uh, the Celtics won both, but, you know, uh, Ralph Sampson played a big part in those NBA finals in those two years. Yeah, he sure did. I, I wish <clears throat> he had a better health. You know, he would have yes. a much longer career, but it, um, he, he could not sustain, you know, his health, so he had to step away from the game. And that's too bad because <clears throat> rarely do you see a graceful big man like Ralph Sampson. He had, you know, good offensive skills and good shot blocker. You know, and when he was at Virginia, he said all the milestones that a big man would have, rebounds, points, block shots, dunks. So, he, you know, he's nice to see a true big man. Absolutely. Well, seven foot four, as great a finesse big man as has ever played the game, I think. And, uh, you know, so AP, and it's interesting you had mentioned Chet Walker. I know we talked about him on the show where he obviously went on to a uh, great career as well after his 76ers championship uh, with the Chicago Bulls, where he played with uh, one of my fellow alumnus is from St. Francis College of Pennsylvania, Norm Van Leer. And they had a great team, one of the great teams never to win a championship in NBA history, I think, those Chicago Bulls teams with, of course, Chet Walker and Van Leer, but also... Uh, Bob Love, who, who was a, just a tremendous player, and Jerry Sloan, of course. I mean, yeah, that was a was great a, team. They, they really did. You know, they just were at a time in that, the history of the NBA, those other teams just slightly better than them. I mean, they took some of those teams to the seventh game. Oh, yeah. And, and just couldn't get over that hump. 
but but Chet, you know, he was just, he talked about how they set the stage for those Jordan teams. The city of Chicago became enthused with that group of Bulls, and and you know Michael Jordan his group. They finished off with Chet's bunch started. Well said, well said, because Chet's bunch, as you said, was beloved, and large part of that was he was a superstar, but. Van Leer and Jerry Sloan were great players, but were also maybe the most feisty backcourt, scrappy, feisty in the history of the NBA. I mean, everybody just loved that team and particularly the way those two guys played in addition to Walker and Love, obviously. And, uh, you know, those were just great days for the NBA and they absolutely uh, were the team responsible for, you know, planting the basketball seed in Chicago, so to speak, on the NBA level. And you're right. It's, it was good. To, it's good to hear Chet say that because yeah, you know, they he, clearly he, started what uh, Jordan and the, and the gang finished. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he had a great college career, John. He was a, a three-time All-Missouri Conference, two-time consensus All-American. And as a sophomore, that, that team won the NIT. And, uh, you know, at that time, the NIT was uh, quite a, quite a difficult tournament to win. Sure. And, uh, so he, he was, he was a great player from the day he stepped on the court for Bradley. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so AP, uh, I know you're planning to go back to the Hall of Fame today, which of course is located right up here in Springfield, Massachusetts, and not too far from where you're located as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the whole Hall of Fame weekend like? What did you see yesterday? What's the, what's the uh, what's the setting? It must be pretty spectacular, I've heard. Yeah, it's a very interesting weekend because you never know who's going to come back, John. And some of the former Hall of Famers will be there, and they have quite a list of presenters, John. Uh, and one thing I found out, I didn't realize, uh, Katrina McLean. She's a she was a great forward at the University of Georgia, about six three, great rebounder. And one of her presenters uh, was Vivian Stringer, the coach of Rutgers. Oh, sure, of course. And I, and I inquired. I said, "Well, I know Coach Landers, Andy Landers of Georgia." I said, "Why is not he not a presenter?" And they they tipped me off. And, and you have to be a Hall of Famer to present someone. Ah, which I did not that. realize. So okay. yeah, she's going to be presented by Teresa Edwards, a great player, her teammate from the University of Georgia, and a great Olympian. She was an Olympian at sixteen on that 84 team, and uh, Julius Irving will present her and also Vivian Stringer. Wow, and, and, big uh, names. Yeah, yeah it's in- interesting. So those presenters will come back. For instance, uh, I had a chance to talk to Reggie Miller yesterday. Okay. And, and he told the great story about the, the two-player hustle they used to run on the streets of Riverside, California. Uh, his sister, Cheryl, is already in the Hall of Fame. She used to appear on the court, pretend she couldn't play, and then there'd be a couple guys down the other end. They'd be watching her, and then she'd give the wink to her brother, and he'd go down there and kind of see, you know, we all like to play two-on-two. And next thing you know, they're going to McDonald's with all the other people's lunch money. <laughs> Literally stole their lunch money. I love it. That's yeah, a great story. And, uh, and, he, and right. I, asked, I asked Reggie about his, his mother had passed away in 2007, so she's not here. And she, she was the biggest cheerleader for all those five children, I believe, there. You know, athletically they were inclined, and I said, Reggie, what would you, what would your your mother say if she was here for the festivities this weekend? And he just said, Well, she'd probably say, Job well done. And nice. No, nobody could argue with that. 
Nobody can argue with that. Wow, that's yeah. terrific stuff. Yeah, and uh, so his presenters, uh, Reggie Miller, will be a sister Cheryl, which that that's a great thrill because they're the only brother-sister combination in that hall. And I can't think of another, you know, it's quite hard to think of a hall where there are some brothers in there. You know, brother-sister for sure. There's not, right. I can't think of any. And uh, But his sister's going to present him and Charles Barkley and Magic Johnson. My, yeah, that and is... uh, yeah, like Ralph Sampson, he's he's having Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Julia Serving, and Charles Barkley. So Charles is going to be a busy fellow tonight. He's actually presenting two uh, two players, yeah, two players. Wow, well, he's yeah. up to the task. He is, yeah, oh yeah, fabulous sure. announcer and great personality, and clearly someone who. Uh, uh, knows how to turn a phrase, so he'll have no problem introducing two. And wow, that is really some serious names you're throwing out there. And let me just add that you mentioned Dr. J, of course, Julius Irving. And uh, let's not forget that he went to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, not very far at all from Springfield. So he's uh, he's getting back to his roots a bit. That's right, he sure is. And I don't know if you recall him playing, John, but years ago, when you were watching TV on a Saturday night when they had those three channels, and I'm dating myself here, but you turned into anything that was sports-related, and there was that Yankee Conference basketball, and and Julia Serving with that big afro striding through the lane. Who could ever forget? Absolutely. I definitely remember that. Nothing like it. Uh, Well, terrific, AP. Uh, We're heading for our break here, but uh, I know you're heading back out today for yet more activities in Springfield. What's on the agenda? Yeah, I'm a, you know, John, when, when they come off the red carpet, they will enter Symphony Hall. They'll come up those uh, group of steps, and we usually get a chance to talk to those people as they're entering the Symphony Hall. So I'm really interested to speak to some of those presenters, uh, particularly, let's say, somebody like Michael Jordan, who's going to present Phil Knight. It'll be John Thompson and Michael Jordan presenting Phil Knight. Wow. Those are some serious names. I'm glad to hear that, you know, the big names return year after year for this, uh, for this fabulous event. So enjoy. And, uh, once again, I appreciate your taking time to call after your busy day. And I know you're sticking around on the line for the next segment and we're going to talk a little bit of football. And I know, uh, you have big plans for tomorrow. So we'll discuss that on the other side after the break. Okay, John. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Football and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific time. 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. We're America listeners. Welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. And back on the line with us is A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And before we jump into uh, AP's football perspective, I want to say that my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is the NFL Red Zone all day Sunday if you have it. Uh, and in particular, Sunday night, Steelers-Broncos. That should be spectacular. And AP, uh, I know that uh, you're doing basketball yesterday and today, but tomorrow you are going to what I consider one of the most, maybe the most intriguing game in college football tomorrow, simply because of its huge intersectional nature. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, John, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm able to drive down to MetLife Stadium in New Jersey tomorrow, and the powerhouse team from the West Coast, the USC Trojans, will be visiting to undertake the task of defeating the Syracuse Orangemen. And there's two spectacular offenses going head-to-head, and maybe we'll see some defense in between. Not much, but maybe. Maybe a little. Well, USC, of course, uh, it started off their season last Saturday with a uh, <laughs> uh, spectacular play, touchdown pe- pass and run from Heisman candidate Matt Barkley, uh and that's how they started their season with like a 60, 70, 80 yard play, first play of the season. And, uh, I just thought, hmm, this looks good. And, uh, so I, I, I again, you know, they're, I think they're going to be really special to watch. Uh, you know, USC coming back, uh, coming out to the East Coast where they're going to get all that New York media. Uh, you know, when last seen, MetLife Stadium was where the, Cowboys beat the Giants Wednesday night for the NFL opener. So here we are again, back in the national spotlight, and a huge opportunity for Syracuse as well. Yeah, you know they could they could represent the Big East and do a lot of good for that conference. I know they're leaving next year, but they can leave some cachet for the rest of the teams if they're able to defeat the Trojans because you know it's a nationally nationally televised game on ABC. I believe at three thirty. I'm not sure it might be regional, but I know it's on ABC and. Uh, it really helped help them down the road as they uh, enter the ACC next year and they're recruiting, I'm sure. Well, yes, and I watched that Syracuse, the ending of the Syracuse-Northwestern game up at the Carrier Dome last Saturday, and that was just really riveting, to say the least. Uh, 
you know, Syracuse had the lead, Northwestern fought back and ultimately won it. Uh, you, you know, just again, spectacular ending where they, uh, I guess Northwestern has like a, a relief pitcher, literally a quarterback who comes in for like the final drives of games and very often wins them. I thought that was a pretty unique story to put it mildly. Like they pulled the starter who had a good game. Yeah. And it wasn't the first time we've done this before and this guy has a pretty good success rate. Pretty unique, huh? Yeah, sure was. I, I was really, it was kind of heartbreaking for Syracuse. They were yes. behind 35 to 13, came all the way back to go ahead and they just couldn't, couldn't hold on defensively to, to clinch the victory. But they showed a lot of heart and, you know, if they could have some good things happen early, these types of games you're up against a, um, you know, a powerful opponent and you're, if you can hang in there that first quarter, and getting a rhythm, you're gaining confidence by the play, by the by the series. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, you had mentioned earlier Syracuse representing the Big East, as it were. Of course, the team you're familiar with, Alabama, played Michigan, who was uh, representing the Big Ten, and a lot of eyes were on that game, the kickoff classic at Cowboy Stadium last Saturday night, mine included, and yeah. wow. Alabama just absolutely trounced them, and uh, if anything, enhanced the SEC's image while really denigrating the Big Ten's image. Uh, what did you think of that game? You're an expert on Alabama, obviously. Yeah, you know, John, uh, there was a picture that somebody put up on the Internet of uh, T.J. Yeldon, one of his first runs, and all the offensive linemen were hat on hat on the defenders, and it was Perfection. Uh, everyone was blocking someone as he, as he as he made his way for that forty-yard run. That, that that offensive line it makes everybody look good, and you know people don't have their eyes on the offensive line as much. But that that's the key to this Alabama team in my eyes. And I've been saying since the beginning this might be the best they've ever had, and so far, and done anything to to prove me wrong. And uh, if they can stay healthy, uh, you know I mean. All the running backs had a pretty good game, and AJ McCarron, he was, he looked like a real confident quarterback, a, a leader. And um, Alabama seemed to replace players like they were just a deck of cards on defense. Didn't matter which one they pulled out; it was it was a winning, winning hand. They just have so many defenders, um, and there's guys on that team that have all the athletic ability, but yet to make a name. I'm sure they will as the season progresses. I mean, take a guy like Adrian Hubbard, the um, linebacker, six foot six, about 250. He's got a world of talent, and uh, you might hear his name down the road. Well, Nick Saban has an ju- absolute juggernaut going right now, obviously, and I'll go on record right now as saying uh, I would love to see USC Alabama in the national championship game in the Orange Bowl in Miami in January. That would be spectacular. You can already make that statement after one week of college football, and you, you know. And you, and you mentioned T.J. Yeldon. I'm a big fan because when I worked at the U.S. Army All American Bowl this past January in San Antonio, T.J. Yeldon was one of the high school All Stars, and right. to watch him in person at the Alamo Dome play in a high school All Star game. And then watch him last Saturday night with the big boys and he himself, you know, showing he belongs with the big boys, to, to put it mildly, yeah. uh, pretty impressive. 
Yeah, John, he did something never before in Alabama history. He had 100 yards in his debut rushing as a freshman. Wow. He never didn't even done. start. Had, had about 111 yards, and he caught a 26-yard pass. I think his total offense was 137, averaged about 10 yards a carry. Wow. Well, he's special, and that's saying something, because I, I could tell he was special watching him in the All-Star game, and that's saying something, because the another running back in that game was uh, someone by the name of Barry Sanders, Jr., so... For T.J. Yeldon to stand out uh, with that crew from the running back position was uh, something I didn't forget that day. And lo and behold, there he was last Saturday night doing it in front of the nation. So great stuff. Yeah, I, I think you're going to hear his name quite a bit in the next couple of years. And and I, I think you'll see him catch a lot of passes out of the backfield too, John. You, you probably noticed that maybe when you watched him practice or in the game. He's got good hands. Absolutely, and we're getting down under uh, a minute here, but bold statement about Alabama's offensive line because, you know, that's where the greatest offensive lineman in NFL history, probably in history, John Hanna, who literally used to live in the town I'm in, Medfield, Massachusetts, when he played for the Patriots. Uh, Obviously, John Hanna, Hog Hanna, played for Alabama. So for you to say they have maybe the greatest offensive line in their history is wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a statement. And, and John, he he played with two other guys that became All American uh, on that particular team, uh, and they're going to have a reunion here uh, in a couple weeks against Florida Atlantic. And it's a 1972 team. John was a captain with um, co-captain with John Mitchell, I believe. John John was the first African American to play at Alabama, and he's a coach for this longtime uh, defensive line coach for the Steelers. And wow! They, I'm hoping both 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 of those Johns maybe they'll get a chance to come back. I don't know. John Mitchell might be involved with the NFL that weekend, but uh, that reunion will be uh, the 22nd against uh, Florida Atlantic. Unbelievable! Well, another great college football season is upon us. Not to mention the NFL and AP. I'm going to let you go. I know you're driving to Springfield. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day. To call the show, everybody loves what you have to say, especially when you uh, can offer this first-hand perspective. And we'll look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks so much. As always, John, thank you very much. Call anytime. Glad to do it for you. Thanks, AP. And as always, Voice America listeners, thank you for listening to All Around Sports. And we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.